Hello and welcome to the Tech UK podcast. My name is Catherine Mays, Program Manager of Cloud Computing, Data Analytics and AI here at Tech UK. This month we'll be focusing on digital ethics, highlighting and celebrating members that are leading from the front and moving the digital ethics debate forward to real action. We have a great lineup of industry speakers, including Assistant General Counsel and Senior Cloud Solution Architect at Microsoft, Global Director of Privacy Policy at Intel, and Managing Director at Station 10. So without further ado, let's hear from Microsoft. Hello, Mike and Phil. Uh, thank you for joining us on Tech UK's podcast. Uh, just to begin with, could you maybe tell us a bit about, about both of your roles at Microsoft and some of the main areas that you're focusing on? So I'm Phil Harvey. I'm a senior cloud solution architect for data and artificial intelligence in the one commercial partner organization in Microsoft UK. What that all means is that I work with our partners who are using our technology, data and AI in Azure, and I help them to make best use of that technology. Over the last 12 to 18 months, I've been focusing in on making Microsoft's ethical principles for AI a reality in the market through something called principled consideration, which is delivering these through to the developer audience. And I'm Mike Phillips. I'm an assistant general counsel at Microsoft, which is uh, basically a fancy way of saying I'm a lawyer. Uh, I've been at the company about 20 years, working in various product supporting roles. Uh, and within the last two and a half years, I've spent most of my time working in what we call the AI policy space. So I've worked on our initial foundational um, principles for trustworthy and responsible AI, and I've worked in our external policy aspect of that, so evangelizing those principles and, and meeting with uh, policymakers on the issues. And then also I counsel uh, our product teams in making those principles real in practice. Excellent, thank you. And um, maybe to sort of uh, to begin with, to kick off the discussion, um, how is Microsoft using technology to address some of our bigger societal challenges? So I think the the first thing I want to talk about is uh, the AI for Good program. So this is where Microsoft Philanthropies is using, uh, essentially putting our money where our mouth is mm -hmm. to help support projects that are not necessarily directly commercial gain oriented. And this color covers AI for humanitarian action, um, all the way through to AI for cultural heritage. And staff just started working, particularly in the cultural heritage space myself, and I see a tremendous opportunity for technologies such as AI-enabled search to help bring cultural assets and imagery and those kind of pieces to more people. And that applies to things like the climate emergency, so looking at people who are making positive changes with technology that can help us uh, decarbonize various parts of the economy. So I think that's a very concrete way that we're, we're out in the field making positive change with our partners. Excellent. And do you have any ideas of how, you know, how do we ensure that this is sort of scaled? So working through partners is uh, very important with that. So Microsoft, we build technology platforms. Yes, we have uh, people who work with those platforms in the field, but my work and the work of one commercial partner is to make sure that scales out through as many different organizations as possible, both those working with public sector all the way through to those working in private sector, retail all the way through to finance and things like that. And Phil sort of touched on this uh, a little bit already, but as we move into 2020, what is the biggest sort of challenge and maybe even the greatest opportunity for digital ethics from your perspective? Yeah, I think um, it's going to be 
really critical that we take all of this fantastic thinking, and, and by we I mean Microsoft and the industry more generally, and frankly society, the, very, the various voices who've engaged in this conversation from, from civil society to academia to government, um, we've, we've done really good thinking around the principles, the kinds of issues that it's going to be important to address in a, in, a, in a trustworthy way, questions of fairness and bias in AI, questions of transparency and intelligibility. Um, but of course, making those real in practice, as I think uh, Phil has suggested, is going to be the real test and challenge in 2020. And I think we need to be both aggressive in our work to, to make those concepts real. I think we also, at the same time, need to be patient and realistic. These are hard challenges, and they don't lend themselves to you know, traditional tool sets. Uh, they are socio-technical challenges. And so finding uh, the ways to articulate and make them real it will take a lot of dedicated effort and, and frankly, may take some trial and error. We're going to have to experiment. We're going to have to test these in, in real-world applications. Um, and I think doing that uh, with, with purpose in 2020 should be our focus for sure. And that actually links very nicely to my final question. Um, if you could provide one piece of advice for organizations trying to operationalize digital ethics, what would it be? So I want to kick off with um, following on to something Mike said. When it's socio-technical, that doesn't mean technical is only supported by social. It doesn't mean that social is only supported by technical. It's about the collaboration and the interdisciplinary work between those two fields. Learning to speak each other's language, learning to understand how these principles play out both in the way you build technology and the way that technology is applied in society. And so organizations need to really focus in on where does their, if they're heavily technical, where does their sociology come from? Where does the anthropology come from? Where, do the, where does the philosophy come from? As well as if you're a very social organization, where are the technologists building this? How are you instructing them in those things? So looking at that boundary, looking for those bridges is incredibly important. Completely agree with Phil. And, and, and what I would add is that I think organizations should be open to really educating their workforces and, and doing so in a manner that encourages people to or empowers them to address these issues, to speak up with to, uh, on these issues when they come to the fore. People should feel empowered to raise fairness concerns, for example, regardless of their level. And, and the infrastructure that an organization builds should encourage that. It should help to educate on the challenges. It should get teams thinking holistically about these issues with the various disciplinary inputs that, that uh, Phil described. But, but, but really throughout the life cycle of any technology that's built, people should feel empowered to think about these issues, raise concerns, um, much better to ask questions and have a robust dialogue uh, than to check the box and, and assume these sorts of things can be fixed on the fly at a later time. Excellent. Some great advice for our listeners. Thank you very much. Um, unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. So I'd like to thank Mike and Phil uh, for your time today. Um, thank you very much. Great to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, hello, Ricardo. Welcome to Tech UK's podcast. Hello, Catherine. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. I think to kick off, could you tell us a bit about your role as Global Director of Privacy Policy at Intel? Sure. I would say I work at the intersection between uh, policy and technology. So I work with technologists, uh, policymakers, academia, civil society, to make sure that innovation and new technologies like AI actually improve people's life while addressing at the same time societal concerns like 
privacy, security, and ethics. Excellent. What an interesting role. I'd be fascinated to hear a bit more about some of the tools and solutions that Intel is developing to help embed privacy and data protection into the development of advanced digital technologies. Sure, Catherine. We always try to follow an, uh, an accountability approach. So we have tried to develop privacy by design and uh, privacy impact assessments throughout the product development lifecycle. A very promising area of research, in my view, is privacy-preserving machine learning. A set of techniques that actually use uh, cryptography, mathematics, statistics, tricks, so that we are able, for instance, to uh, limit the number of parties involved in data processing so that we can perform AI while keeping data encrypted. This is the case of homomorphic encryption. We can introduce some noise in uh, in the data sets so that we cannot link back a single individual in, uh, from, the, from the original data sets. And we can pull together information without sharing among many parties. This is the case of federated learning. Homomorphic encryption, federated learning, and differential privacy are no silver bullet. They should be used in combination with organizational accountability approaches and flexible public policy frameworks in order to support the goal of protecting citizens. Unfortunately, we only have time for one more question. So, Ricardo, what's your one call to action for 2020 to those listening to the podcast? From the discussion today, it's pretty clear that we have a shared understanding of the principles that should drive our action in the future. I think that our single call to action should be moving from the what, so moving from the principles to how to operationalize these principles, how to build them in technology by inserting checkpoints throughout the, the product development life cycle. In the end, we want to deploy AI system in culturally sensitive and contextually appropriate ways that are also supported by international principles. Our final goal is to respect dignity and human autonomy. Excellent. Thank you so much, Ricardo, for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks a lot to you. It was great to be here. We're now joined by David Ellis, Managing Director at Station 10. Hello, David. Hi, Catherine. How are you? Yeah, well, thank you. Uh, To start with, could you tell us a bit about Station 10 and how do you keep ethics at the heart of the work you do? Station 10 is a data science consultancy, and we help clients solve their data challenges and build out particularly around the privacy for their customers and how they can make sure that is working properly. And that's a key thing in terms of of bringing ethics into, into the conversations. We help them understand what they need to put in place, what they need to do up front, what permissions they need to capture, and then reflect that in their policies and build that going forward. And also increasingly think about what they should be doing. That's the ethics part of it, not just what they have to be doing, which is the legal part of it. And the the more you can get focused on ethics and less about the the legal side of things, the better, because then you're going to be ahead of the, the ethics curve, as you might put it. Are you working on any projects where ethics is a big focus? Yes, we're working with several, but one I'd like to talk about is a really interesting organisation called Make Good Trouble. They are a social enterprise focused on making digital better to change mental health, particularly around teenagers. So their aim is to give teenagers the resilience and the tools and the courage 
to make a difference and to inspire them and indeed their parents to change their behaviour. So there's a lot of focus around how digital can affect mental health in different ways and that is often focused around teenagers. But it also affects their parents and the wider communities that they have around them and it's really important to to help to change that. And so what Make Good Trouble are doing is bringing about that change through engaging those teenagers with making programmes not dissimilar to this one, but a whole range of programmes and then broadcasting those in different media. Now, the reason why that's interesting from an ethics point of view, from a data point of view, is that for Make Good Trouble, it's really important to have a measurement framework so you can prove the impact that your activities are doing. And obviously, a lot of these activities are taking place well away from the digital environment that they're actually delivering content through. And so that's where the bringing these data sources together and analysing them and helping them to understand exactly what impact they are having for positive impact. And it's well worth emphasising that this is all about demonstrating the, the positive impact that social uh, and other digital channels can have. And, and that's what they're looking to do. So that's really interesting. And David, from your perspective, uh, are there any public sector applications for this there are many. Uh, it's possibly worth saying that actually uh, Sussex Police are already involved with Make Good Travel. So there is actually a kind of a, a direct application there. But I think that's interesting because I think it can extend much broader than that and have a massive impact on mental health and digital and how we understand those factors. So for me, I think there are potential applications for the armed forces, so how you understand the mental health of those who are going into battle or indeed helping everyone keep safe. That's been well documented over years and that would be really interesting. But I think there's also impact on wider public health. And I think then the challenge is less about the ethics of it and how what you do as a result. And I think that's where the ethical challenge comes in. So who takes the action as a result of analysing this? changes significantly so a lot of the mental health issues that we which we talk about are associated with the NHS they pick up a lot of those challenges particularly when it comes to self-harm the police also pick up challenges when it comes to crime but that's often not where the problem lies the problem is in terms of mental health challenges are earlier on in the process and so how do you understand and influence that is really interesting and it strikes me that well for me I think Sussex police are being unbelievably far-sighted in thinking about how they can help teenagers and their mental health early on before it impact either themselves or the ambulance service or whoever it might be but I think it's 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 broader than that and, and if there were if you like ever candidates for cross-departmental funding or a, if you like a holistic approach to government I think challenges around mental health and how we can start joining up both the data that we have uh in the public uh, arena, but also who the agencies that actually can influence and, and affect change around that. I think mental health is absolutely the, the area for that to be focused on. And finally, I'd be really interested to find out a bit more about how can you use data to spot potential mental ill health, but also what sort of ethical considerations does this work raise? That's a great question. And uh, we could be talking for a while here, but so I think it's so fascinating. But perhaps contrary to many people's expectations, there's research, particularly coming out of the States, but from other places as well, that shows that mental health factors and outcomes, as it were, right right down, if you like, to suicide, but obviously along that whole spectrum, these are predictable in the wider population. It is possible 
to spot and sometimes well in advance of anything actually taking place the the sort of factors and influences that that are influencing people and so it's possible therefore to predict and to identify those factors and to spot them early enough so that you can actually change people's behavior or try to look to influence them in the same way that you would for a loyalty scheme or for a churn model or something that many organizations would would recognize in a in a much more business context here we're talking about how that might affect things in a in a mental health one the challenge though whilst that whilst those systems may well exist they're not being used and they're not being used because of ethical considerations at the moment and without getting too philosophical about it it kind of comes down to the debate between free will and determinism which potentially gets a little bit um, philosophical as I say so if you have a if you have free will then you can live your life as you want and that potentially can involve how you might choose to end it but if you have a deterministic model that can say there are certain people who are more likely to have mental health challenges then that's slightly contrary to the idea of free will. And so which one is the is the most important philosophical belief, if you like, for us to follow? And we've had lengthy conversations both with the man in the street and indeed actually with, with a cabinet minister or two to discuss the where this balance should be struck. And generally the, the sense is that free will is most important, that we should focus on that rather than being able to determine particular groups of people. I can absolutely see that point of view, but I respectfully disagree with it because I personally think that during a depression episode, you're not necessarily thinking rationally. And I think, therefore, in a sense, your free will might be subjugated somewhat. And I think, therefore, there is a debate to be had as to whether there's value in changing that balance. And I personally see that as a potential missed opportunity for us to look at the wider mental health uh, success of our society and how we can change that and as part of that to pick up your second question I think transparency is absolutely key around that so we have to explain how that data might be used but that goes without saying but it's really really important in relation to this particular topic if it's about have help during a challenge then that's absolutely great if it might be used for some sort of insurance type purpose that's clearly disastrous and absolutely wrong so I think it's very important to delineate exactly how that that sort of tool could be used and it might be that you actually introduce something like I don't know a donor card system or something that says I subscribe to this tool and would be happy to be influenced by it at a particular time in my life should that arise I think that could be quite an interesting way of bringing that into the, the public health sphere. A fascinating topic and I feel like we could we could talk about this for, for days actually there's a lot of detail there and a lot of it is fairly sort of controversial but you know we need to we need to be kind of using data uh, to get you know t- to solve these nitty-gritty sort of issues and, and be talking about it quite openly I think but unfortunately uh, that's all we have time for today so I'd like to say thank you so much for joining us on the podcast David it's been great having you on thank you Catherine If you'd like to find out more about Tech UK's digital ethics work program, please get in touch. All our podcasts are now available on YouTube and keep your eyes peeled for our latest podcast from key industry players coming soon. Thanks for listening. <laughs>